Between recording the next episode of my podcast, running a business, and all of the things life throws my way, sometimes it's good to just get away. Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Chiquis here. And let me tell you, I love booking a trip where I can escape. There's nothing like spending a few days at the beach, relaxing and spending time with family. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter your reasons, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to my new podcast, Connections with Eva Longoria. I'm Eva Longoria, and this is my very first episode. So when I started this idea for a podcast because my team was like, you should do a podcast. I'm like, I don't want to do a podcast. And then finally, I was talking to so many of my friends and I was really fascinated. I've always been fascinated with the idea of connection and how we connect, but not just to each other, to things and concepts and ideas and ideology and politics. And, and then coming out of COVID and lockdown and isolation and six feet apart and masks where you can't really see people's faces, I was like, wow, we have really disconnected from each other, from our social circles, our social work environments, um, even socialization with our family, socialization with strangers, right? Like, like there used to be a kind of a thing. We, we knew how to connect with strangers on the street. And so I think that lost connection felt to me like we needed to relearn how to connect and not only to, to people, but to ourselves. And once I sat down to think about... Uh, this idea, I really took like an emotional inventory of like where I felt that I personally needed to reconnect or in some cases disconnect. I felt like there was an abundance of episodes that we could do about connection and reconnection. And I immediately knew that one of the topics I wanted to explore was connecting to our inner spirit. And, you know, some people call it spirituality or connecting to the universe or connecting to our belief systems. And some cases that's religion, sometimes it's not, but it's really just connecting to the inner voice or, or inner energy. And so I felt like this was an important episode because ultimately my feeling is that connecting with your inner spirit leads you to the meaning of life and not the meaning of life, but like your meaning, your purpose in, in this life. And, and how lucky are we if we connect to that purpose in a really powerful way that gives us meaning to this life that we're leading. So once I knew I wanted to explore this topic, I immediately knew the person I wanted to have this conversation with. And that was Jay Shetty. And you know what's so funny though? Jay doesn't give answers. What he does best is asks questions that lead you to finding your own answers. And so I'm so happy to have you on Thank you for for coming and being here with with us today. 
I'm so grateful. Eva, I want to start off just by saying, first of all, you're amazing. Anytime I'm with you, you have the most contagious energy. And I am so happy that you're doing a podcast. So congratulations to you and the team. <laughs> Thank because you. Because I really believe you have this unique ability to connect with people in the most disarming way. And so I think this suits you perfectly. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to start a podcast and I'm so happy you're excited for me because you have the number one health and wellness podcast called On Purpose. If you guys haven't, if you're living under a rock and haven't heard of On Purpose, (laughs) check it out. Um, And, you know, Jay also wrote this amazing book called Think Like a Monk and it draws on your time as a monk. It teaches us how to access the purpose that lies within us, right? And I'm so humbled by everything that you've accomplished because your original goal was to make wisdom go viral. You've had over 7 billion views on YouTube, but in the book you had said, I want to show people that thinking like a monk isn't about being calm and and chill and it's, it's more about connection. And so that's why I was excited to have this conversation with you because your life gave us so many lessons and, and the book really talks about your life. And that's what I love about the book. But I think sometimes people think spirituality is like very intimidating subject. First of all, tell everybody a little bit about your story because you became a monk. You left college. You didn't take the jobs that were offered to you. You really took a left turn in life. Just, I want, I want some people to catch up and know just a little bit about, you know, were you always spiritual? You know, what motivated you to become a monk at 21? And then we're going to talk about the definition of spirituality. But I just want to talk about just your experience in general, your life experience. Yeah. So I grew up as an average Londoner. I grew up in the city of London, born and raised, and I grew up in an Indian background. And when you grow up in an Indian family, one of the biggest priorities in life is academic performance and academic success. So from a young age, I was trained to work hard at school, to do my homework on time, to be the person who raised their hand first in class, basically to be a bit of a geek or a dork. And I wasn't spiritual. I had a religious background and we did religious practices at home, but they were very ritualistic. They were not spiritual. They weren't really something that I connected to. I didn't feel like I had a faith or that my belief system was built on that. And as I was growing older, I would say that my dreams and aspirations were very similar to other people to go to a good college, to get a good job, to find someone to marry, to have kids and then live life in that way. There was no spiritual or faith-based connection there that was guiding my life. I was being guided by what society was guiding me by. So I would consider myself to be a very non-spiritual, normal individual. And the only thing that I had was I was always enamored by rags to riches stories. I was always fascinated by people who had gone from nothing to something. And it wasn't about the material success. It was about the human resilience and the ability that humans have to go through the most difficult challenges, to go to the edges of the earth, to go through extremes to achieve something. And in that search, I met a monk. I would go in, this is before podcasts, before YouTube, where you actually had to go and listen to people in person. Yeah. And I would go and hear celebrities and CEOs and athletes and, you know, all types of people 
talk about their journeys. And once I was invited to hear a monk speak, and my honest answer, as you know, Eva, is that I was like, what am I going to learn from a monk? Like, what do monks have to teach me? I mean, <laughs> oh, I, if you only knew. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> At that moment. Exactly. And so I had no, I was cynical about mm. it. I was skeptical. I went there with a bit of a guard up. And I said to my friends, I'd only go if they promised we went to a bar afterwards. Like that was my yeah. negotiation. <laughs> that was my negotiation. And my friends were very persuasive. So they said, sure, we can go to a bar afterwards. And I went to this event literally expecting nothing. And I walked out with a completely new perspective on life. And the truth is that Eva, I thought about this afterwards. I didn't know how to articulate it then. But when I look back, I realize it's because when I was 18, when I met this monk, I'd met people who were beautiful and attractive. I'd met people who were rich and powerful and famous, but I don't think I'd met anyone who was truly happy. And mm. he was content. He was happy. He was so comfortable in his robes. He wasn't trying to put up a persona of being a monk or he wasn't trying to put up any persona. He just was. And I thought to myself, he has something that no one I've ever met has. And so that's where my journey began of being introduced to spirituality through him. Yeah. And I started to realize that since that day, whether you call it spirituality, self-awareness, whether you call it connecting with yourself, whatever you call it, that was the beginning mm. of that journey for me where I became more interested in my inner world than the outer world. And mm -hmm. I think that's where it all began. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations, como la playa que viste en ese show, or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And how many years were you a monk for? So three years. I lived as a monk for three years from 2010 to 2013. It was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And yeah. when I wrote my book, Think Like a Monk, it wasn't even about my experience. It was really about these monks who've spent their life dedicated decades to these ancient practices and what we could learn from them. So 
I thought mm-hmm. I was going to do it for life. I lasted three years, which I'm proud of myself for. But I felt so blessed by that experience, Eva, that I had, oh, to, sh- I had to share it with everyone. Oh my gosh. I think, like I said, spirituality is such a overwhelming concept. And w- mm. when I was thinking about episodes for this podcast and, and I said, oh, spirituality, I was like, let me look up the definition. I don't even know what the definition really is because I kind of like think spirituality is what it is to you. And and then I, I saw that it started out as a religious term to be more like the Holy Spirit, to be for man to be more godlike. And so mm. it was kind of birthed in a, in a religious environment. But then the concept broadened over time and included some mental aspects and then it expanded outside of religion. And now I feel like it's kind of loosely described as as a meaningful connection with something bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. right? I think it's hard for people to reconcile spirituality with ambition and drive. Mm-hmm. And you answered, you told me the story one time about like, they one doesn't cancel out the other. Just, you know, you're not telling people go give up your wealth and go live as a monk. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's what prevents people from like exploring that, that people who are cynical, right? Like they go, well, I'm not going to go forage food and uh, <laughs> wear a robe, you know? And it's not that. It doesn't have to be that. Yes, definitely. And I'm so glad you shared how that definition has evolved. And I, I'm going to share a few definitions. The first one is from the Vedas. And in the Vedas, it says that there's a beautiful Sanskrit phrase and it says, Atato Brahma Jignasa. And what that translates as, when the soul or consciousness asks, who am I? What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? So that beginning of questioning is the beginning of spirituality. And so no matter who we are, whatever our religious background is, whatever our walk of life is, whatever our net worth is, whatever culture we were raised in, whatever language we speak, we all have a moment where we stop, we take a breath, we pause and we say, who am I? Why am I here? What's the meaning of all of this? So to me, spirituality very simply is self-study and inquiry. Mm. And that is a really liberating definition because it's not about a belief. It's not about a faith. It is self-study. It is the study of the inner, as in Sanskrit, another word that I love, it's called antarakash. And so spirituality is the study of the inner sky, just as astronomy is the study of the outer sky. And so Mm -hmm. we have so many words to describe the study of the outer sky, right? Uh, whether mm. we're going out into the universe, we're going into space. But what is that inner space? What is that called? How do we define that? To me, that's spirituality. It's the study mm-hmm. of the inner solar system. And oh. if anyone... Which is, which <laughs> is uh, expansive and endless. Uh, yeah. You know? I mean, you think about your mind, you think about your heart, you think about your brain, you, all of these incredible devices and tools we have very little understanding about what they can and can't do, what to speak about psychology and consciousness. And so to me, spirituality, very simply put, is self-study. And Mm -hmm. when we say self, we have to clarify that we all have many selves. And the first self we have is the physical self. So a part of spirituality is understanding our physical self, our limitations, our strengths, 
how the body works, how the body digests food, how much sleep the body needs. But if I asked you, Eva, to define your worth by simply your body, if the only worth you had in the world was your body, I think most of us would say, no, I'm worth a lot more than my body. I'm worth a lot more than the shape or physique I have. Like, that's not me. And then you go deeper and you say, well, then what is the self? And you look at your emotions and you think, is that me? And then you think, no, that's not me because my emotions have changed since I was young. I changed my mind a lot about a lot of things. You look at a child like Santi, who's just adorable. Mm -hmm. And you're like, he's going to change his mind a lot of times in the next few years of his life because that's normal. So we're not just our mind. We're not just our emotions. So then who are we? So we're going beyond all of these physical and material selves into understanding the self that sits beyond all of those. I hope that makes sense and feels simple enough to digest. No, I think that's what you do so great in, you know, your channels and and really in your purpose in this world is you really break down. Because sometimes, like I said, spirituality can get really metaphysical. But again, I think your work, like your purpose of, of I think, what, what you do in the world with your platform is really making spirituality applicable. And like, I think you, you give the like, how, this is how, you know, you can meditate, you can journal, you can be grateful, you can be, but like, why, 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 why should we all be spiritual? And I think that was a, a big question. And I think why people sometimes, why do I, why do I need to do that? Right. It kind of turns people off, but it's hard for them to find meaning in life. I cannot think about what my purpose in life is because I've got to take my children to school and come home and make dinner. Like, People don't have time to expand and self-study. And so why should we care about this? Why should we self-study? That's such a great way to think about it. And and it is a privilege to even take an opportunity to make time for self-study. I, I agree with you. And, you know, we both didn't come from backgrounds where that privilege was necessarily there. My parents were both immigrants into London and they both worked since I was young. Like I saw both my parents work so hard just to provide for me and my sister. And so I, I completely agree with you. Like, where is that time and why is society set up in that way? I would say that the deepest reason, and we can break this down, Mm -hmm. is that when you don't study who you are, the Vedas describe that as to be a fish out of water. Mm. If you take a fish out of water, you can give that fish everything. You could give it a mansion. You could give it a car. You could give it a Bentley. You could give it all the jewels and all the riches in the world. But all the fish wants is to be back in the water. If you've ever seen a fish flopping around on the sand, it's a really uncomfortable visual because that fish just wants to be back reconnected with its home. And Mm. so when you think about why, it's because all of us know that regardless of our external ups and downs, which everyone faces, whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, whether you're famous or not famous, or whether you're successful or not successful, everyone has their struggle. But we find that we're all looking for that sense of home. And even the people that are skeptical and and cynical at first, what I find is that life throws so many challenges at you to ultimately make you ask that question. And so the reason of why is why not do it sooner rather than later? Why not do it proactively rather than reactively? Why wait for some tragedy or some painful event to occur 
before we start the study of the one thing that we are. And so I feel that, you know, we've been trained in life to spend, and there was a famous teacher, he came to a university in the US from India, and he was taken around to a lot of the university departments. And they said, this is the department of biology, and this is the department of physics, and this is the department of history, and this is the department of all of these things. And he said, where's the department for the soul? Like, where's the department for you and who mm. you are? And there yeah. wasn't one. And he was like, well, then what's, he, he was asking obviously in a broad way, but you know, what is the purpose of all the education in the world if we don't understand? And I think on a very simple level, Eva, I think we'd all agree that wouldn't have been a wonderful at school to understand how your emotions work. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been really amazing to understand how to work on your mind so that even in the simplest forms, if we get away from the very deep existential questions on a very practical level, the why is because we're all going to deal with stress. We're all going to deal with pressure. We're all going to deal with pain and loss. And it might be quite useful to understand what happens inside when we go through those things so that we can actually help ourselves because mm -hmm. your qualification in math doesn't help you when someone passes away, right? Yeah. Your knowledge of science doesn't support you when you're going through a breakup or a divorce. And right. So I feel at a very basic level, that's the why, so that you can actually navigate life. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the same thing happened at Wharton Business School. I don't know if you know, the most Fortune 100 companies, CEOs came from Wharton Business School. And one day they realized, why are we giving all these people black belts in finance and not teaching them about philanthropy, right? Like they're becoming billionaires, but like nobody told them, oh, you should probably tithe some of that money and put it back into society. And now they do have an actual degree program about social responsibility, social entrepreneurship. I was like, that's fascinating. And that was the reason they said, how, why do we give black belts in finance, but not teach them how to support humanity? And it's, yeah. it, it, it's a yin and a yang. It's like, you can't have one without the other, I think. Yeah, you're spot on. I love that study. I, I hadn't heard that before. And I think that mm -hmm. that's exactly the mindset. You know, we often think we have to give money because people need it or whatever. Actually, you're giving money because it detaches you from it. Like the reason why you're encouraged in spiritual traditions to give money and give your money is not just because you're going to save someone's life. It's to detach you from that which was never yours in the first place. You're a caretaker. You were just taking care of it while you were on this earth, renting, you know, as, as Muhammad Ali said, service is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what it is. It's that we're caretakers of wealth. We're caretakers of homes. We're caretakers of estates. And so- when of our you, body. Yeah, of your body. body. And so when you share and give that, you learn detachment from these things that can become actually our vices and our things that attach us and destroy our lives. Yeah. So I yeah. love that. I'm so glad. I agree with that. That idea of detachment is a whole nother episode and it's so beautiful. I live by the four agreements. I love Don Miguel Ruiz and that book and that like one of his four agreements is don't take things personal. And, and he talks about detachment and he gives an extreme example of like, if you are a wife being beat, that is not your fault. You're not creating that. You're not doing it. It is something that that other person's going through. He says, of course you should leave. You shouldn't just stay there because it's not your fault, but 
just the way he says it of like, don't take things personal, even to that extreme. It was, it's such a beautiful lesson in, in detachment. I am not being defined by this moment or this person or this relationship or this, my wealth or my, you know, my status or my success or my fame, you know, it's a really big idea to be detached from things and at the same time live in this world, right? I want nice things. I have a great shoe collection, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. And and that's, you know, I always say that to people that, you know, there's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thought. And it comes from, I believe it's Imam Al-Shafi. And he said that detachment doesn't mean that you own nothing. Detachment means that nothing owns you. Mm. And and I think that that's the best definition of detachment I've ever heard or read because now you own all these beautiful, let's take your example. And I have my version of this. You own all these You have your sneakers. Yeah, I have a sneakers. I, you know, I'm not a monk anymore. I have sneakers. I have nice clothes. I, I'm married. I have, I have businesses. But when I take your example to make it simple, you take a shoe collection. Now you own that. That's beautiful. Detachment doesn't mean that you own nothing. Now when it owns you, is when one shoe gets a stain or it goes missing or something, someone breaks it or it, it, you lose it and now you're sad, now you're broken, now your whole life has ended because this one shoe has gone missing. That's when you're owned by that. You know, when we mm -hmm. become owned by that. So I feel that that's a healthy way of, of thinking about it. That's sure, if, if I lost a pair of shoes, like, of course, I'll feel a little bit of pain, but I'm not, that's not going to define my life and how I treat myself and treat people that day. Yeah, that's such a good definition. I've never heard that one. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations, como la playa que viste en ese show, or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Who do you think the enemy is of a of a spiritually awakened person? Like, is it is it a narcissist? Is it our ego? Like, what is stopping us as humanity as a whole to be more tuned into the world around us? Because I think if if COVID taught us anything, it's that we live in a global community. Look how fast a tiny little virus 
taught us we're all connected. You don't live in India. You don't live in the United States. We live in a global community that is delicately structured. What is the resistance to humanity as a whole really going, whoa, I have to be vaccinated or I have to wear a mask now for the good of others, not for myself, for the good of others. I mean, just that simple act. But like, what do you think is the, uh, I guess, the enemy of being spiritually awakened? So in the beginning, the enemy is lust. And when I say lust, I don't mean lust for like, you know, a person or a a woman or a man or, a, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that kind of lust. Lust, when defined in the spiritual traditions, is, is far bigger than that. Lust basically means the desire to enjoy more for myself. So it encapsulates mm-hmm. that desire for selfishness, for greed. So deep down, all of us, in, including myself, and I'm, I'm working through this, we have this lust that I will find a way to make myself have more enjoyment in the way I want. Most people listen to that and go, it's easy because you have money. So now I'm going to make money and I'll show you how happy I am. And we both agree that money is good and people should have it. Like we both are in that boat, but we also believe money doesn't make you happy, right? They're Mm -hmm. two separate things. And so what ends up happening is that we all, lust makes us believe we're all the exception, that we're going to find a way to enjoy this world, be happy in this world in a way that's never been done before and that it's all about us. And so that feeling that it's all about us, what you just said is you require us to have not us vision, but collective vision. You're, you're asking us to switch from having us vision to we vision. Mm. And moving from us to we requires you to be non-lusty because if you're only lusty, and we were trained in this very simply as monks. So for example... Some of the monks would be serving late and they'd come home late, which meant that you had two choices. You either ate the extra food or you saved some for them because you knew they were coming home late. That Mm. is a simple shift from us to we. Do I just enjoy this because it's in front of me and it's easy for me to have? Or do I think actually I'm going to take as much as I need to take care of myself, but I'm also going to create value for other people? And so our lust makes us go, no, 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 let me have it all. Maybe they won't save it for me tomorrow night. They're not going to think about me tomorrow when I'm late. And we all have these thoughts, right? We have these very uncomfortable, difficult thoughts where we do believe in scarcity. There's a feeling Mm. of scarcity that there isn't enough for everyone. Therefore, if I get something, I've got to take all of it. Because if I start thinking about everyone, no one's going to think about me. And so Mm -hmm. that's where that lust keeps us. And then, as you said, as we start to grow, it becomes our ego and our ego blocks us because it now starts to make us think we're better than. So in the early stages of spiritual awakening, you now feel that you're enlightened and everyone else is still stuck in the matrix, right? I'm, (laughs) I'm like superior to this world now and everyone doesn't understand. And oh my gosh, I got through, I'm like Neo, but these people don't know what they're going through. And, oh, mm. you know, they're, they're not smart. They're not asking the deep questions of life, how superficial they are. And we were just there three months ago. But, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. went on a, we went on a yoga retreat and read a book, but now all of a sudden- You heard Jay's, Jay's podcast and yeah. now you're spiritually awakened. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, so it's, it's lust in the beginning and it's ego to, you know, as we grow- and mm. so, and, and I'm talking about very deep fundamental blocks right now. I'm not talking about 
But how that plays through is in the beginning, it's just like, well, what do I do for myself? Just take care of yourself. It's survival mode. Our survival yeah. instinct is forcing us to say, I need to survive at all costs and nothing else matters. No one else's opinion matters. Yeah. Yeah. But you, like you said, we're in survival mode, right? So I think, like I said, when, when, when I look at what you're doing and your life's work, it's, it's, it's about like, this is how you do it. Just tell me how I'm the same thing with like, uh, uh, when I eat, just tell me, do I be a vegan? Am I gluten-free? Just tell me <laughs> what to eat and I'll eat it. Like what is good for me? I don't want to think about the why I just know like this would probably have a positive effect on my life. So it's like the band aid right now. Like, I just want to know how, just tell me how. And I think this conversation is like, okay, I kind of know how I journal, I meditate, I, I listen to podcasts, I read like, Wait, why totally. am I doing all of this? And that's really what leads you down a greater uh, path is because the why is more important. Even the why of your life. Every time I post a picture of Santi, I said, this is my why, right? This is why <laughs> I work. This is why I do philanthropy. This is why I, you know, put my family first is because, you know, the world he's going to have later is important. That's the beautiful part, Eva, what you just said there. And I just want to, because it's, it's so subtle what you just said, but it's so powerful and I have to pull it out because I, I don't know how many people will have caught that. You just said something really special. Now, if you're obsessed with Santi, of course, you're his mother and he's adorable. So it's easy because your why is cute, right? Your why is really yeah. cute. So we take Santi and you could easily just think, look, his world is the house he grows up in, the school he goes to, and my relationship with my partner, right? Like you could say that's his world, mm -hmm. but you go further than that. You think about your community, the Latin community. You think about mm -hmm. the environment. You think about politics. You're thinking about the whole world he grows up in. And yeah. that's where the service, that's where the extension comes in. Now, of course, you have created a life where you have the ability to think that big and far and wide and not everyone yeah. has to and not everyone can. But what I'm saying is that if everyone thought that, hey, if I can get more involved in my kid's school, then all these kids will have a better atmosphere and therefore my child will have a better atmosphere. That's right. a healthy way of thinking. If we think, hey, if I'm able to make my family have healthy communication, then this child will benefit we're able to expand mm -hmm. our radius of care. And I yeah. think this is often what's missed is that that lust makes you go, no, it's only about this kid. No other kid matters. And we don't yeah. realize that actually your kid is going to be affected by every other kid. And so if every kid is not taken care of, then by the way, your kid's going to have a really poor experience. And so right. I think that expansion of the radius of care. So we're switching from a survival mindset to what I'd like to call a self and service mindset. The mistake mm -hmm. is sometimes we become martyrs. We just serve, we just give, right. we don't take care of ourselves. So we're switching not from survival to anything else. We're switching from survival to self and service. Let me take yeah. care of myself, but now let me go beyond according to my capacity. Yeah. And it is, I mean, you're right. We, we come from a place of privilege, you know, and people said, oh, how was COVID for you? I go, well, I have a roof over my head and mm. I don't have to go to work without PPE and, and I don't have to like put myself at risk. I'm not a frontline worker. I'm not a healthcare worker. Like, yeah, like that's a place of privilege. And so taking care of yourself, but also servicing others is definitely, I think, a balance that we should all try to strive for. My last question for you is, you know, as we're coming out of COVID 
and a global pandemic, hopefully we're coming out of a global pandemic. Um, everybody keeps talking about like, I can't wait to get back to normal. Like, oh, I just want to get back to normal. Can we just go back to normal? And, you know, in self-reflection, I'm like, do we really want to go back to the way we were? Like, there's some really great things that I've learned during this introspective time, spending a, you know, time with my nuclear family, nesting, you know, uh, reading, meditating. And so is normal a good thing? Or what do you think? What what, what lessons do you think we've, we've learned and, and should carry with us coming out of this? I think the desire for normal is what creates so much stress and pressure because abnormality is actually our normality. Discomfort is more common than comfort. So if you keep seeking comfort, you actually become more disturbed when you're faced with discomfort. So if I wake up and I know that chances are things may not go to plan today because that is reality, that's life, then I'm actually more adaptable and flexible and able to deal with it than when I think it's going to go perfect. I'll tell you a story uh, that, that always comes to my mind when I think about this. We were on a 72-hour train journey as monks from North to South India, around 48 to 72 hours. And that is a long time to spend on a train. And it's a long time to spend on a train in India when you're traveling like it's not even coach class. Like you're like, on the, you know, as monks, you travel on the most, most basic form of uh, travel. And mm -hmm. I decided that I was going to fast for the entire duration of the trip because on the first day I went to the restroom and realized I never wanted to go back in there ever again on the train. <laughs> so I looked very detached and renounced and monk-like, but it was only because I really didn't want to use the toilet. And so I said to my teacher on this journey, we only had like, we would stop off at stations, but the station stop would be maximum like 10 to 15 minutes at the bigger stations. And I said to him, he didn't see me meditating on the train. So he said, you know, when are you going to do your meditation? And I said, oh, I'm going to wait for the, the really nice still stops. I'll go out, I'll find a little tree and I'll sit under it and I'll meditate when it's peaceful. I said, the train's too noisy. It's too crazy. It's too busy. It's chaotic. And he said something to me, and it's always stuck with me. He said to me, he said, do you think life is going to be like the calm still stops? Or do you think that life is going to be chaotic and hectic like the train? And obviously it was a rhetorical question because the answer was obvious. And he said, you're going to meditate on the train. And I realized that the ability to accept, as soon as you accept that life will always have uncomfortable, challenging scenarios. You don't get down about it. You actually get prepared and flexible and adaptable about it. But as soon mm -hmm. as we have that thought in our head of, oh, I want to avoid all discomfort. I want everything to go back to normal. I just want it to stay that way. Now, when you see that news, you're like, oh no, the world's falling apart. Now, when you see that challenge, oh no, now it's all over. We get really disheartened by it. As opposed to if we expect, we say, look, there's a lot of people in this world and there's a lot of people with mixed opinions, mixed expectations, mixed pain. There's a lot of people mm. with a lot of trauma and a lot of pain and they're going to do things that I don't like. But if I get involved in my local community, my local charity, if I try and become a better parent, if I try my best and take care of the people that I'm in charge of, then maybe I can improve their experience of life. And mm -hmm. I think that the desire for normal will constantly keep disturbing us with discomfort. So 
Don't look for mm-hmm. normal. Look for tools to navigate the abnormalities of life because navigation is more critical than normality. It's like saying, I wish this road had no traffic. That means when it gets traffic, you feel really upset rather than saying, oh no, I've got my Google Maps here. I know how to navigate the traffic. Which one's a smarter option, right? Right, right. Yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. I mean, a good way of talking about this is movies, right? Either you direct, you write, you obviously act. Like when you're creating mm-hmm. a movie, when has it ever gone to plan? Ever. Yeah. I can't, I can't no. think of, I can't actually think of anything in my life that has ever gone to plan. Right. And the problem is you hold so, we hold so strongly onto this projection in our mind of what it should look like that Mm -hmm. we don't allow ourselves to actually make a difference in reality. And so the more we are attached to our vision of our plan, the less we actually get to walk through life and make the right choices and decisions. So yeah, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. I'm saying that you should be able to adapt and be a bit more yeah. open with yeah. your plan. Be, being able to adapt is a really big lesson. Yeah. I, when I'm directing, it's like a, a problem every hour. I remember I was shooting something and, and I needed this 1980s limo. And so they came and they go, uh, the limo's not working. And I go, what, what do you mean it's not It's got to drive up in the scene. And they go, yeah, it's not, it's not working. I was like, okay. And uh, so we picked a spot on a hill that we could just roll it down into the shot and it worked. How did you stop it? How did you stop it? Well, the brakes work. Oh, the brakes work. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. The brakes work. We just wouldn't turn on. And so when you see the shot in the movie, you'll you'll go, oh yeah, that's the car that wasn't working. That's hilarious. You you make it work. Uh, Okay. Jay, last question. A book everyone must read. Ooh. I mean, other than Think Like a Monk. Oh, no, you're very sweet. Okay, I would say it's the biography or autobiography of anyone you love and admire, because I think you learn so much. I would say the biography of Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. And again, the reason I say it is because, you know, to study someone's life mm. is to remove envy of them. And so a lot of our time, we waste our life envying people. We wish we had their lives. We wish we had what they have. And when you study someone's life, you just start to have a completely unique perspective. I would say Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson was life-changing for me because you get to hear about how he combined art and science. You get to hear about how he was actually extremely spiritual, but had so much trauma of his own. Mm -hmm. Like you get to see a complete person rather than the image you see on a TV screen or whatever. And so for me... His biography has really helped me. I've spent a lot of my time studying Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Steve Jobs, Einstein. Like these, these are some mm-hmm. of the biographies. So I would say Steve Jobs' biography. And if it was a, a mindset book that we both loved, then I would say it's Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I believe no book gave me a better understanding of the mind than Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's a phenomenal read. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Jay, for... Being my first guest on <laughs> on this podcast. I, I'm so I, excited. I hope I did it justice. I hope we got to what you wanted. And thank no. you for just giving me a moment to, like I honestly mean this, I got to share things that I would never have shared anywhere else. Thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to be connected with you. Connections with Eva Longoria is a production of Unbelievable Entertainment in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes, y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antinomocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.